Hi, everybody. This is David Rose, author of Spent Shell Casing. And with me today is J.J. Anselmi, author of Heavy. Say uh, hello, J.J. Hey, how's it going, David? Pretty good, man. Really uh, happy to have you on. Um, <laughs> I'll just dive right into it. We, um, we are affiliated, of course, through Rare Bird Books. And uh, I've seen your cover a few times before I had gotten the word that you were interested in coming on. And um, I ended up getting uh, a copy. And I think by, like, minute five, I was uh, smiling as far as how incredibly um, similar our backstories are, even though I'm from Florida and you're from Wyoming. Um, mm-hmm. I just kind of, I guess, uh, tell the people out there, what, uh, how would you describe, how would you describe, Heavy? It was definitely, uh, it's a memoir, it's autobiographical, and uh, it is very, very heavy. But uh, being that you wrote it, <laughs> you want to just kind of uh, give us some insight real quick? Oh, sure. Um, you know, it's basically just about uh, growing up in Wyoming and uh, just kind of, you know, feeling socially alienated in combination with just, you know, incredibly bored and so trying to rebel, um, which was, I don't know, kind of a complicated process. Uh, for one, just because, like, uh, you know, it didn't do the... I guess the stereotypical, like, you know, getting fucked up every weekend to my buddies and me wasn't, like, rebelling so much. It's because we had grown up being surrounded by addiction. And so for us, it was, um, you know, riding bikes and uh, trespassing on government property and shit like that. And for me, you know, heavy metal um, was just always a huge part of that. And so just trying to, you know, tie those kind of things growing up in Wyoming and a Boomtown with, you know, my love of metal, Pantera and Sabbath and Metallica and all those classics like that and uh, BMX, you know, trying to weave it all together and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It's all a coming of age story, really. You know, it's not really anything yeah, uh, new. Absolutely, yeah. You know, one thing I've always wanted to ask someone from Wyoming is because <laughs> there's, it's, it's, the, it's the state with the least amount of people. Is it is it, like, desolate as far as, like, I mean, is it, like, one of those, I picture, like, an old Tom Petty video, like, like, uh, 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 the neighbor's, like, three miles away, you know what I mean? Like, like uh, how how is it growing up there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it does feel super desolate and bleak. Um, the town where I'm from, Rock Springs, I mean, it was 20,000 when I grew up, but then it just kind of, you know, exploded with a fracking boom, and so now it's, like, um, nearly double that, which to me is just, okay. you know, it's fucking crazy. Like, what towns do you hear that have, you know, doubled in population within, like, you know, five, six years or something like that? But, um, so yeah, it's, the towns themselves to me feel kind of suburby. So, I mean, it's like you'll have, you know, neighborhoods and so mm-hmm. nothing to, like, snatch together like an actual city, but. Um, you know, it's okay. an actual town, but then, um, you know, you drive 10 minutes in any direction and yeah, you're just in, like you said, kind of Tom Petty prairie land, basically just, you know, nothing yeah, for as far the, as you can see. The with the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you know, one thing you had said is, uh, uh, that really, really struck a chord with me is, um, your form of rebellion because, you know, rebellion, I guess, is sort of the pendulum swinging the other way in certain circumstances, is that since you were uh, 
you grew up immersed in various forms of addiction. You, you and your, your buddy's rebellion was uh, when you guys went straight edge through, you know, Ian Mackay and, and, um, yeah, and, and some of the similar voices from the punk and hardcore movement, because I was actually the same way, interestingly enough. Um, my dad, you know, my whole family um, have uh, pretty severe uh, substance abuse issues. And right around 17, I uh, started getting into Henry Rollins. And, uh, yeah. you know, that, that was my rebellion is, is to eat good, to lift weights. To I mean, it's a big, fuck you, dad. You know, you end up like fighting them in the garage yeah. because you it's a clash of ideologies. <laughs> um, yeah, so for sure. I, I really, I wanted to ask you, this is a question I have for you, is how old were you personally when you realized your, your father had a substance abuse issue? Because mine was remarkably late. Um, I mean, I, I guess I was pretty young, really, when I was... 13 and 14 and I didn't really understand it, but I just knew like mm -hmm. something didn't really feel well. And part of it was just like, you know, kind of like I discussed in the book, like you're taught, you know, from dare and all these things that like, Oh, you know, drugs are bad no matter what. It's a very black and white idea. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think some people can handle it. You know, I have tons of, um, good, you know, good friends and people in my life that, um, you know, drink or smoke or whatever, but can completely, you know, keep it under control and it doesn't fuck up their lives. But, um, I just, yeah, yeah knew, I guess, you know, 12 or 13 really with my dad that, um, it just, it, it wasn't quite like that. Um, it was just, you know, a little bit weird. And I mean, that's, it's all kind of complicated by, you know, him being, uh, mentally ill. I, I kind of, try and refrain from playing the, uh, you know, like armchair psychologist, but, uh, you know, he's probably bipolar, probably bipolar. And so that was always kind of a complicating factor. Uh, you know, it took me forever. That was probably the realization that I realized my dad, you know, had a substance abuse problem and I kind of chalked up a lot of his behavior to that. But then as I grew older, I was like, Oh, actually, you know, like the, the way he smokes weed and, you know, when he drinks or does whatever else, um, it's, you know, self-medication. Like, the real issue is, you know, pretty intense mental illness. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's something beyond the, the substance abuse itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. It, it, for me, it was weird because my dad, uh, you know, he, he, he played the whole the John Wayne era, like, you know, the, um, the, but, you know, you come home from work and you have a couple brews and that stuff. And uh, for, for the longest time, I, I thought that was just it. I thought that was Americana, you know, the, the, the blue collar guy yeah. comes home and, and he has a sweating six pack of butt, you know, but then uh, I think I was probably a little older than you. I think I was closer to 16 when it dawned on me. If I looked through any fishing, like fishing trip albums or, or anything like that, there was always a beer present. It was like this little, yeah. this little, little gremlin or something from a Hitchcock movie. It was, it was always there <laughs> in every picture. And so, <laughs> um, and then I started noticing these sort of mood swings, or, or excuse me, I always saw these mood swings where he would go from very cold and, 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 and sort of absent, and, uh, uh, and then all of a sudden he'd be, you know, all over you, and, and, and all the I love yeah. yous and all that stuff. And it was this very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing that took, for, for whatever reason, and it really surprises me, it took me so long to realize. But when it dawned on me that he had that problem, I think that was probably within the same month or two. 
that I discovered uh, Henry Rollins and Ian McKay, and it seemed like the moment I realized that sort of my male role model, you know, had this, I, I quickly dove into uh, other inspirations, and you know, it really got me through a lot. I don't know about you, because um, <laughs> we could talk all day about this. We have some similar musical heroes who definitely include oh, uh, yeah. Phil and Selmo, and um, I've actually yeah. I've actually spoke with Henry Rollins off and on throughout the years. I've met him, and. Uh, I've thanked him, you know, like many people do. Uh, you, yeah. you know, I'm not the only one. But, you know, he really was sort of like the gym coach for a lot of sort of lost boys uh, uh, from for now, sure. multiple generations. Yeah, you know. Um, so I wanted, I, I want to touch on the Phil and Solo thing. Is, uh, I, when you said that you got CFH removed, I, I chuckled because um, CFA, the CFH brand has, uh, and has become somewhat of like a family crest for uh, my mom's side yeah. of the family. I mean, male and female uh-huh. alike. Just, just just, to give you an idea of how much Phil Anselmo's music influenced at least one side of my family tree, my cousin's name is Nola off the Down debut album. Oh, damn, dude. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so are you still, do you still feel the same way about Phil as you did when you were a teenager? Um, I mean... Me, I get into weird territory with Bill. I, uh, I mean, yeah, he's I, kind of a controversial have, figure. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I have a you know immense respect for him. Just because, I mean, it sounds really similar to uh, you know your experience with Henry Rollins, and I was actually I just, um, I mean, I, I want to go back and read your um, read the book, you know, much more closely. And so I was kind of speed reading it, but I just read the section um, or this morning about, you know, when you said getting into Henry Rollins and you, you said something like this kind of nerd, uh, like bodybuilder, like brain, like flash, I'll be your ass type figure really appealed mm-hmm. to you. And um, so anyway, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. I really love that section. Um, but yeah, Phil, oh, uh, I mean, uh, you know, Phil was really similar. I kind of saw this, character to me who like you know just seemed so sure of like who he was and I, I think that was really something that always stood out to me and in addition to being just you know fucking like mind-blowingly amazing vocalist like you can say whatever you want about the dude like he's an asshole um i think but i mean like as far as talent like that's unquestionable he's a fucking amazing yeah. vocalist and also a guitarist and just musician like a lot of the super joint ritual stuff, I think he writes a lot of those yeah. guitarists and stuff. And I always, you know, love that band. And I mean, he turned me on to, you know, like so much of the music that I listen to today. And like, not only that, but like the style that I play. So, you know, he just, um, just a huge role in my life shaping me, man. And so, but then I have that kind of, you know, like relationship to him. I, I really do think of him as, you know, like this, weird family member, I guess, which sounds kind of creepy, but, um, you know, you see a family member for how they shape you and value those things and always, you know, know that, you know, that they're seriously flawed humans. And I guess that's a relationship I have to fill nowadays. And yeah, I I don't know if you saw recently, but, um, he caught so much shit for, uh, uh, that recent, that recent Dimebag tribute, I mean, the, the concert for Dime, where uh, yeah. he threw out a, a, Hit, a Hitler salute. Um, yeah. And uh, he, he caught an amazing amount of grief around the world for that. And, you know, 
My yeah, my yeah. take on it, well, I, I really came to Phil's aid on that one. I was like, you know, look, the, he explained he was drinking champagne uh, in the backstage, and, and it was like this funny kind of like, it was his, you know, it's Phil's humor. Back when I was in the Marine Corps, he got in trouble yeah. for coming to, uh, uh, doing a venue outside of our base where he yelled some, uh, obscenities and it made its way onto the local radio station. Uh, and, and I, I kind of take a look, I kind of step back and I look at the art movements of 2016 and, you know, people are very, very afraid apparently to uh, step on people's toes or expose any raw nerves. And while Phil does things that I don't always agree with, I, I appreciate yeah. that there are still artists out there in various medi- mediums that kind of tap on what you said is that, they're so sure of what they do, you know, and, and that, yeah. that he's got a tattoo of himself eating a girl out on his arm. Do you really think this guy's going to be, you know, the guy you bring home to, to meet the parents? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't know about that tattoo. You what? I, uh, I didn't know about that tattoo. That's uh, just like yeah, one. He had, Paul, he had Paul Booth do it. Oh my God, dude! Sorry, I interrupted you, but yeah, that, uh, no, no, no problem, no problem. Totally, totally, Phil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Phil Anselmo and 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 Henry, I've always sort of looked at kind of like, um, and in a certain sense, opposites, you know, because one general generally had the long hair and was into the theatric stuff, and Henry Rollins with the mm-hmm. short hair generally once again, and he was very pragmatic. It was always, you know, politics and social alienation. He never really talked about demons and all that, you know. <laughs> but um yeah. equally yeah, important to yeah. yeah. And uh so um, uh I mean just looking at all those interviews, I you know, he like you look at the stuff from back in the day because like when Pantera was a you know power metal band or a hair metal band. Um from the eighties, uh, and like Phil was, he came in on you know the tail end of that, and I think Henry Rollins, he always said in interviews, was like for him kind of the turning point, and like oh shit, you know to be just more aggressive and shit, he should emulate Henry Rollins instead of you know one of the dudes from Molly Crew mm-hmm. or some shit. But then you know he definitely, yeah, like you said, he was you know always more personal and headbanger and shit. But yeah, to uh, Phil's racism shit, it's kind of, um, I don't know, the more and more I think about it and the kind of uproar, it, it's, uh, it just wasn't surprising. You know, he said shit like similar shit before. So it's like, well, if you know who Phil Anselmo is and like, you already know, like, yeah, like you said, he's going to push buttons. He's going to, that's who he is. He's confrontational. And so like, He's going to say shit that pisses people off and that is deeply offensive and horrible, you know, like, um, I mean, me personally, I, yeah, I mean, it was, it's shitty to hear, but again, it was no, you know, no surprise. He's, he's fucking Phil. He's a honky, um, you know, look at Pantera merch from back in the day and shit. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. I don't know, man. (laughs) Hey, you know, I want to ask you, um, are you still straight edge? How did how does how did you? Because uh, I definitely anyone who reads my help the first ten pages of my book knows that if I was straight edge, I certainly uh, uh, um, deviated from that course. So I was, I was curious how your evolution with all that went. Um, yeah, so um, straight edge from thirteen until eighteen, you know, just like super rigid about it, and then kind of 
at some point, and you know, um, part of it was just like hearing all my you know metal heroes and still being one of them talk about kind of glorified being fucked up, and I just kind of felt like it was something I should at least try, you know, because when I was straight as I had smoked weed and gotten drunk once and didn't really know what it was about until I guess when I was 18, I kind of decided to take the polar opposite of that and, you know, just drinking a ton. And then um, really weed was, you know, was my kind of uh, Achilles heel. It just, you know, felt super good and I loved the way it would just make me feel numb, but also like listening to music on, you know, for the first time, like getting super high was, well, that's a cliche, but it's pretty amazing. And then um, after that, and then I guess I always had a curiosity about uh, psychedelics too. And so um, when I was 18, I made the, or 19, made the stupid, yeah, you know, kind of decision that I would totally make again in retrospect and move to Austin with my buddy's band, even though we, we sucked. Um, and yeah, living in this like hippie musicians cooperative and, uh, just living, I lived, you know, a room away from this kid who was selling LSD and I did, I guess I had, you know, would always hear kids in junior high and high school kind of talk about it. And, uh, I always thought it was like kind of half fake, you know, like that's not, you know, real or like whatever it was. And so I kind of, you know, being true to my personality, had to find out for myself and, discovered that it definitely is real. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I did, did a show out of LSD and psychedelics for a while, and that was kind of really like a, I don't know, turning point into, you know, realizing again, like, um, I don't know, just like I said, it just doesn't, realizing again, like it doesn't work for me, basically. Like I had too much shit attached to it yeah. in my past, maybe I had, you know, kind of built my identity on being straight edge for too long as this cemented in me, but this was kind of yes, this dude. undercurrent of self dude, self Very, very you know, good point. A, a, a very yeah. kind of a, a segue into that is what you said about you sort of built your identity maybe a little too strong on the whole straight edge, straight edge idea. Um, yeah. Something similar, similar happened with me is that my straight edginess deteriorated once I got in the Marine Corps. <laughs> um, I, yeah. it, it cracks me up. It cracks me up that people actually think that joining the U.S. military is a way to get away from all those things. Um, it's not. And, uh, you know, uh, but, but in a very positive way, I was able to see kind of what you referred to in the beginning of this broadcast uh, of the, the, the groups of people and the personalities that can party their ass off but still be functioning uh, members yeah. of, of their, of their community. And, and I think, you know, Marine Corps infantry and Marine Corps recon, which I was specifically engulfed in was sort of the top 1% of that. You know, you, I, I saw people who would party like Keith Richards, but yeah. the next day were, were capable of not just functioning, but, but being quite good at, at whatever they were uh, tasked <laughs> with doing. And once, and once I saw that, I was like, okay, the yoke is off. Straight edge is done. You know. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. I think I think for a while I was really making up for <laughs> kind of making up for lost time. Um, yeah, for sure. Thing, yeah, yeah. I think that you know. That, that's, again, I think it's the pendulum swing one way or the other. I don't, you know. Um, yeah. Totally. So I, I would I would say one thing, if I had to distill it, that you and I would have in common is we're we're both white males 
we're in our 30s. We grew up in the same time frame. And uh, uh, both of our works seem to be a uh, very, very gritty, true-to-life uh, coming-of-age story. And it's just um, one involves someone joining the military. The other involves uh, the, the music industry and uh, BMXing. And I, I think that it's kind of cool because you can see some parallels. Um, yeah, with uh, some some of, some of the motivations and some of the growth, and I, and that really just leads me to my last question, man. Thank you so much for coming on. What are you up to nowadays? <clears throat> um, I uh, teach English, and my my girlfriend and I recently moved to uh, St. Paul and teaching English here. I also uh, work with uh, these uh, kids aged through K through five um, at a community center, and then just playing. Playing a shitload of music, man. I uh, was living in Fresno, uh, going to grad school, and it's a really cool city. There's a lot of people that you know definitely make the most of it, but I wanted somewhere with a little bit more of a music scene, and so I've just been playing tons of music. I just uh, recorded in my band actually this past weekend. I'll have to send it to you. It's called uh, Former Worlds, and so yeah, I'm uh, super proud of it. I can't wait to uh, release it. Awesome! Awesome. Uh, what about yeah, you, man? I, me? Well, I am in the uh, fifth gear promo stage of uh, spent shell casings, and um, I just did the GRE, and I'm applying for a few PhD programs anywhere between Miami and Nevada. So we'll see. Okay. Yeah. In uh, yeah, creative writing. Yeah. Well, you know, it spans. I've looked at I've looked at journalism, communication, and and creative writing. And, uh, there's, you know, I want, I want to see which one offers the best program. And, you know, um, creative writing is definitely the, uh, the epicenter of, of, of what I want to pursue. But I, all my favorite writers, all of them, hands down, are former journalists, Chuck Polinick, Brian yeah. Naughton, Ernest Hemingway, Hunter S. Thompson. So when you look at that yeah. track record, you're like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Dude, yeah. that's, uh... I'm glad you mentioned Hunter S because I mean, pretty much every page of your book, that was a writer that I kept coming back to Hunter S Thompson, especially um, that chapter where you're talking about uh, being on Ambien <laughs> during, I think it's a flight to Africa. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And just all, <laughs> all your different stories of you guys getting wasted in your language though. Like, I think that's kind of the thing people forget about Hunter S Thompson is just this really awesome wordplay, you know, kind of intermixing, like, um, you know, there'll be, like, really interesting 19th century vocabulary kind of sprinkled here and there, just, you know, a little word, and it's very similar to Hunter S. So I really enjoyed well, that, but that I did is... have one... <laughs> um, I had yeah. one question for you, um, and I just read this, uh, like I said, this morning, and but it really... I guess kind of going back to the, you know, similarities and so these kind of similar drives and even though our stories are super different and, you know, yours is just insanely brutal. I, I just went through that, um, the chapter where you're in a psych ward and it's just, you know, completely fucked and hallucinatory and an amazing read. But, um, that phrase, uh, antagonomorphism. Yeah. I was just, yeah, curious if you could um, talk about it and explain it because I think it was really uh, super interesting. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, <clears throat> the 
the word originated from when I was um, studying philosophy, and uh, you run into um, anthropomorphism, which is you know uh, associating a deity with with a gender, like uh, you know God being a male or something like that. And um, okay. and so and so I sort of borrowed from that terminology. I had always thought um, throughout the years, I always felt. Uh, whether when I was personally in a very very uh, challenging environment, whether it would be like a, a, a perfect example is I had pneumonia when I was in Marine Corps boot camp, and I'm talking like yeah. really really bad case of pneumonia, but I still had to go and run these um, like a three mile physical fitness test and this that and the other, and it was unbelievably excruciating. Uh, and I, what kept me going personally was always this concept that I was being watched, that, that I was being evaluated, and um, that, 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 you know, there was some sort of grading scale that beyond just the human institution. And um, it, it dawned on me when I was at my lowest of my lowest is that that motivator was no longer there. I didn't care if this outside entity uh, uh, thought that I was uh, a failure or a success or good or bad. And um, I really wanted to find a term for that, and, and, I, and I really researched it, and I couldn't. So uh, that's when I tagged uh, the, or coined the term anthro. Uh, can you say it real quick? Because I'm tongue-tied as hell right now. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I tried to say it in my head a bunch of times to make sure I wouldn't butcher it, but uh, antagonomorphism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's anthro-antagonomorphism. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a big uh, high dollar word. Yeah, no, um, too hard to say. <laughs> but uh, ba- basically, it is trying to um, provide a term to define this concept that I think runs in the brain of a lot of people. That uh, you know, sticking it to the thems of the world. I read a book one time about uh, Vietnam veterans on both sides of the war, uh, uh, Army Special Forces and then uh, Viet Cong, and how. Um, yeah. They, they did interviews years later where uh, their their motivations and what kept them going were so remarkably similar. If you shuffled them in a pile, you probably wouldn't be able to tell who who. And, um, oh, wow. and, they, and they definitely uh, sort of support that idea that, that I present in, in that chapter about being in the psych ward that what keeps many people going in tough moments is this idea that they're being, they're being graded. And, um, yeah. and, you know, and, and, I, and I think that keeps a lot of people going, and not having that was what almost ended me. So, you know, I'm glad, let's say, let's, let's put it this way, I'm glad that it's back. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, uh, I think it's a really, like I said, really smart concept, a really cool way of putting it, and it definitely connects to, like, you know, just that phrase. I, I think of Henry Rollins and Phil Insomo and, you know, Johnny Rotten, those kind of, Ian McKay, all those great, punk metal vocalists have that kind of edge to it. It's like, you know, I'm going to go on stage and, uh, you know, fight you like sonically, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's it, man. And that's one thing that really motivated my, my work with spent showcasing is I want, there, there is definitely uh, a sense of confrontation, but not for confrontation's yeah. sake. You know, I, I feel that, that within yeah. that particular genre, there, there's some room for it. Sort of like punk going after disco in the late 70s, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, but yeah, man, uh, uh, listen, this has by far been my favorite uh, broadcast uh, uh, to date with Rare Bird. So I really want to thank you again, JJ, for coming on. 
Um, yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Yeah, and and uh, we'll definitely uh, behind the curtain exchange some of this info as far as music and whatnot. I'm definitely interested. So, all right, folks. Well, that's it. David Rose, author of Spent Showcasings, and Jay Chan, Selmy, author of Heavy. Check us out. <laughs>